Good morning, everyone. It's, it's good to be with you, and I uh, hope everyone had a happy uh, Thanksgiving, and enjoy time with family and good food and everything that goes into thank, Thanksgiving, for we surely have much uh, to be thankful for. Uh, you can turn into your Bibles to actually two places, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that's uh, so what we'll be, we'll, we're continuing our series in Hebrews, uh, but Pastor David thought it'd be funny, and I uh, gave me one verse to preach on, so uh, <laughs> I kid, uh, Hebrews 11, there will be probably a lot of back and forth, uh, because it's talking about the people of, in the Old Testament, so we're going to look at Genesis 4 also, because uh, we'll be looking at Cain and Abel this morning, so keep your hand uh, in both places, Genesis chapter 4 and Hebrews uh, chapter 11, and uh, as we begin, I just want to uh, share this, let's see, 1990s, uh, boxing was pretty big still in the 90s, and uh, two of the best boxers at the time were uh, two gentlemen by the name of Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. And uh, Tyson and Holyfield, they were uh, planning, to, uh, there's a fight uh, that was scheduled, and, and all the press conferences and uh, reporters meeting with Holyfield, uh, he kept talking that he had a plan. Uh, he had a plan. And this plan was going to work, and he was going to beat Tyson. And so reporters go to Tyson, and because this, this plan that Holyfield kept talking about was in the news, they go to Tyson, and they ask Tyson about this plan. And Tyson, Mike Tyson, famously says this. He says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Tyson was one of the most dynamic boxers of all time. He was a brawler. He was known for his devastating blows. He could knock people out in an instant. Yet, first time, Holyfield defeated Tyson. Why? Because he had a plan, and he stuck to that plan. They fought again the second time. I won't tell you what happened. It's a pretty famous incident, but we won't go into that. You can uh, do some research. Look at second fight, Holyfield Tyson, and you'll, you'll find out what happened if you don't know. Um, but when we think about the fall of man, we can say this very thing. That Adam and Eve, they punched God in the mouth at the fall. With their disobedience and rebellion, the very ones that God had created in His image, they believed the lies of Satan, that they could know good and evil, and they ate from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from. So how would God respond? As we think about this, you can picture almost, you can picture the angels waiting to see what would happen. Would that be it for humanity? Is that it? God had every right to end humanity right there and move on. So how would God respond? What was the plan to redeem Adam and Eve and all of humanity for such a terrible decision? God had a plan, and the plan was revealed from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The ultimate end to the plan would be God sending his son to live and die, be raised 
from the dead to crush Satan's head. And that would, but that would be thousands of years later. Yet through Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve, we see the beginning stages of God's plan. And the plan was this, to save people by faith, to justify people through faith, and to give people meaning and purpose in this life. So we go to God's holy word. This is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We'll start there, then you can flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. This is God's holy word. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel has brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we read this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you, and we're grateful for another day of life. And Lord, I know that uh, within this sanctuary, we're all over the map. From people who just don't want to be here, to people who were brought here because it's, they were forced to be here by someone in their family. From people who want to be here, to people who know and love you, people in between who are tr still trying to figure this Jesus thing out, to people who don't believe, to people who are lonely and angry, to people who are joyful. And Lord, we need you so much. And we ask that you do what only you can do and speak to us through your holy word. Oh Lord, I pray that during this time that your word would come alive, that your spirit would move in such a way that Christ would be glorified, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. And Lord, that during this time, that I would decrease and that you would increase. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. We pray these things through Christ, our Savior. Amen. So let's look at this interaction uh, with God between Cain and Abel. Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's offering rejected by God? And there's a couple answers. And first, the simple answer is to say that Abel had faith and Cain did not have faith. And that's part of the equation. That's not wrong. Uh, Romans chapter 14, 23 tells us uh, what does not proceed from faith is sin. So it makes sense for God to accept Abel's offering 
and to reject Cain's. But the emphasis in the text is not just on the men and their faith in particular, but there's a focus on the actual offerings as well. It's not like Cain and Abel brought the same offering and God accepted one and rejected uh, the other. They brought different offerings. And, this, and in this difference, we see the faith of one man and the unbelief of another. How? Well, before the fall, God walked in the garden and Adam and Eve, they, they lived in perfect relationship with their creator. And they enjoyed being with God. And after the fall, what happens? The Lord showed mercy and desired to be reconciled to Adam and Eve and wanted to be in a relationship with them. But how would this work? How would this relationship happen? Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience and rebellion. Genesis 3, 7 tells us that Adam and Eve, after the fall, they, they sewed together fig leaves and they, they covered up their nakedness. But God had something else in mind. In Genesis 3, 21, uh, if you know, look, we read this. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God dealt with the sin of Adam and Eve by killing an innocent animal instead of killing Adam and Eve. And God had every right to do that. God told Adam and Eve that sin would produce death. And by the killing of this animal, we see death. And of course, Adam and Eve would eventually uh, die as well. God, but God provided a substitute that would shed its blood in their place. And not only that, the animal would also clothe and cover Adam and Eve. It is here that God showed Adam and Eve and all of sinful man how he must be approached after the fall. God taught Adam and Eve they needed to bring a blood sacrifice in order to worship him and to be reconciled to him and to have a relationship with him. So Cain and Abel, they're, they're born, and it would have been the responsibility of Adam and Eve to teach their sons what God required in order to worship and to be known. And this is why Abel's uh, sacrifice was acceptable and Cain's was not. Yes, Cain's offering did not involve the shedding of blood. That's part of it, but there's more than the shedding of blood. More importantly, it was rooted in the fact that God showed Adam and Eve how he was to be worshipped and the sacrifices that he required. And their son Abel had faith to believe and to trust that this was the only way that God could be worshipped. So he brought a sacrifice that involved the shedding of blood. And don't miss the fact that Abel what? He was a keeper of what? He was a keeper of sheep. So his offering was a sheep and this pointed forward to the death of the perfect spotless substitute, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, namely Jesus Christ. So by faith, Abel makes an offering, and Hebrews 11.4 says that Abel's offering was more acceptable than Cain's. And it's believed that God showed his acceptance of Abel's offering by sending fire from heaven and consuming the offering. 
We see this throughout the Old Testament. Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18 is an example, as well as Leviticus 9. So what does Cain do? Cain sees God's acceptance of Abel's offering and was displeased by the fact that God accepted Abel's offerings and not his. But what? Cain had the access to the same information that Abel did. Yet Cain decided on his own how he would come to God and God rejected him. Abel acted by faith. Cain acted on what he thought was right. But get this. Isn't God so good? Genesis 4, 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? And hear this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? God is saying, Cain, if you want to be accepted, if you want to know me, just simply offer sacrifices the way that I require. There's still a chance. Trust me. Have faith in me. And what I've told you to do, the way that I'm to be approached in worship. Wow. Does that ever sound familiar? We cannot come to God any way we choose. The only way that we can come to God is through faith in Jesus Christ, the, per, uh, the spotless, perfect sacrifice who lived and died for us. It is the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what? The world is just like Cain. They have the same information we do. But people think they can worship God any way that they want. And they can come to God any way that they want. So what does the world teach us? Here are a few things. All religions are the same. Just be a good person. You do you because it's all relative. But God is saying the same thing to the world as he said to Cain. If you want to come, if you want to worship me and know, and know me, you have to come through Jesus Christ. If you come through Jesus, will you not be accepted? But the world pridefully says, no, I want to come my way. And their faces fall and they become angry, just like Cain. The first part of God's plan was to save people by faith. The second part of the plan we see in our text is that God is going to justify people through faith. Last week, Pastor David gave us great insight into Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 2, and what is meant for people to be commended for their faith in the Old Testament. Commended was another way of people, say, uh, of people being justified in the Old Testament. Uh, through faith, they were declared to be righteous, not guilty. Again, using that uh, courtroom language, as Pastor David explained last week. And Hebrews eleven four, if you look at your text, says that Abel was commended as righteous by faith. God shows us from the very beginning that we must have faith, and through faith, we are then justified. We are declared not guilty. And let's dig a little deeper. We're going to go a little deeper into this and learn more about the second part of this plan. 
From the sacrifice and death of an animal, we read that in Genesis 3.21. That was one of the consequences. In Genesis 3.24, if you're still there, if you're still looking at your Bible, if you want to look at Genesis 3.24, we read this, another consequence of the fall. It says, he, that's God, he drove out the man, and at the east of the gar- uh, Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden by God, and an angel was placed at the garden gate to keep Adam and Eve out. Let's focus on this imagery of the angel, okay? Stay with me. We're going to look at a few different things. So we have an angel at the garden gate, right? And we see the same thing in the book of Exodus. After God saves his people from slavery in Egypt, God's people built a tabernacle, and this tabernacle was kind of this, this moving building that was used to worship God. In the tabernacle, there was an outer court, and there was an inner court, the Holy of Holies. All right. In the outer court of the tabernacle, blood sacrifices were offered, reminding us of Abel's blood sacrifices and God, God's requirement. But there's also, again, the inner area, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt. So again, there's this separation. Outer court, inner court. But guess what separated the outer court and the inner court? We read this in uh, Exodus 26, verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of uh, of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Did you hear that? Cherubim were the curtains guarding people from the presence of God, reminding us of the garden where cherubim were at the gates of the Garden of Eden. Sacrifices were made in the outer court as the angels on the curtain looked on. And this is why biblical scholars infer that Cain and Abel most likely made their sacrifice at the gate of the garden where the angels were keeping guard. I think the same thing was set up. Inner area in the garden where God's presence was. Outer area outside the gate. Everyone tracking. The imagery doesn't stop there. I mentioned the Holy of Holies. and This inner area. It's where you would find the mercy seat. And guess what was on the mercy seat? You guessed it. Two cherubim. And these cherubim, what are they doing? This time, they're facing each other. And in the middle of the cherubim was the mercy seat. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in and take the blood of the atoning sacrifice, and he would pour the blood on the mercy seat. And these cherubim are looking at this blood. And what's going on there? What's the imagery? It's all pointing toward Christ, the ultimate sacrifice who would die on the cross where his blood would be shed so that we could be what? So that we could be justified. So that we could be made right with God. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Remember that curtain I talked about with the cherubim? It was torn in two. And we had access to God because we could be declared righteous. We were justified by what Christ has done for us. This is all pointing uh, toward Christ, what Abel has done all throughout Scripture. God had a plan for His people to be made righteous. It has nothing to do with the family we're born in, the country we live in, the way we vote, having the right connections, doing the right things, giving to the right charities and organizations. 
Abel was not saved by his righteous works, by, br- by bringing an acceptable offering. He was a sinner and he came to God by faith with the blood of a substitute. And the blood turned away the wrath of God because, again, it pointed of the, to the one who was to come, Jesus Christ. The only way to have salvation, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation is to be justified by faith in Christ. Justification is the heart of the gospel. It's the good news. It shows how a sinner can be accepted by a holy God. And it comes by faith. And we see this in the very beginning. By God commending Abel for his sacrifice. So saved by faith. Justified by faith. Lastly, to give meaning and purpose. And as we think about this world, and I would say even our very own lives, I think there's a constant pursuit of, of meaning and purpose. The list is endless. From how good our grades are, to what part we get in the play, to what sports teams that we make, to what college we attend, to what degrees we get, to how much money we make, to what cars we drive, to what houses we live in, to what person we marry, to what clothes we wear. Life for so many is an exhausting attempt. Pursuing one thing after another, looking for meaning and purpose. To fill a void that only God can fill. Dan Barber is a chef in New York. And he, uh, he co-owns and is chef in New York at two of the very best restaurants in the world in New York. It's called Blue Hill. On the, next, uh, on the Netflix show, Chef's Table, Dan Bar- Barber, he was wrestling with meaning and purpose. He says this, There are two ways to look at my life. One is that we have two restaurants and I've been very successful. And the other way is quite sad. Lots of this work is an attempt to fill some type of sadness or filling a void. He goes on to say, isn't our life one attempt, to, uh, one attempt to fill a void after another? I don't know if I'm exceeding or not, but I'm trying hard. Who knows where this stuff originates and where it ends? There's a lifetime to work out here. I don't know. And we are not immune. We are prone to leave the God we love thinking we need more than God to have meaning and purpose. Yet God gently, tenderly calls us back, reminds us of the meaning of this life, and gives us purpose. The last part of Hebrews 11:4 says, And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Referring to Abel. And the speaking of Abel is referring to the great cloud of witnesses that the author mentions at the beginning of Hebrews 12. The people of Hebrews 11 had finished their race. Their lives served as an encouragement to us to keep going, cheering us on. And Abel was the very first. But I, I don't know about you, but I need all the encouragement that I can get. I need to know that people are cheering me on, that there is a great cloud of witnesses. A few weeks ago, I was driving to Home Depot, and tears are going down my face because I was frustrated 
because I'm not a very handy person. I really want to be a handy person. And I was going to Home Depot for the 10th time or whatever. <laughs> and I had some wiring to be done, some plumbing, a leaky shower. I just could not get it done. And tears are going down my face. So I'm driving to Home Depot. And I come back and mess with it some more. And I told Laura, I was like, I'm playing pickleball tonight because I need a confidence boost. <laughs> but Abel's speaking to us and saying, the only thing that ultimately matters is living by faith in Christ for the in full assurance that you can stand before a holy God, justified, counted righteous. That's our meaning and purpose, knowing that we can live, uh, live a life and leave a legacy of faith. And we're encouraged by the faith of those in the Old and New Testaments, all the saints who have gone before us, so that we too can still speak after we die. Do we want to be remembered for the material things that we had or the awards that we won? Ignoring the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, where Jesus says this, for what, does a profit, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And for me, do I want to be remembered for being handy around the house? Or even being a good pickleball player? Who cares? Do we want, to be, we want to be remembered for our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the legacy that we want to live, uh, leave for people. And our willingness to take up our cross and follow him no matter the cost. Living by faith, serving those around us, making his name known, confident that we will stand before the throne of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, hearing the words... Well done, good and faithful servant. And I mentioned at the beginning that after the fall, the, the angels waited to see how God would respond to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And it wasn't without purpose. 1 Peter 1.12 says that the angels longed to look into the things of the gospel. In other words, angels longed to see waited for how sinners would be forgiven and reconciled to their creator. Abel's faith spoke loud and clear to them and showed them the plan of God to do that very thing. The angel saw Abel offer a sacrifice by faith at the garden gate. He was accepted and approved by God, and Abel was declared righteous. Shortly after, uh, shortly after offering his sacrifice, Abel was killed by his brother Cain. And what happened then? The soul of Abel appears in the courts of heaven in the presence of God and the angels. The first man to die, but also the first man to go to heaven. Wow. Just wonder what, what in the world is that like? First person, go to heaven. He's there in the presence of God with his creator. Others would arrive eventually. And Abel knew that nothing else really mattered. And Abel is still speaking to us 
November 26, 2023, because he lived a life full of meaning and purpose, knowing that the only thing that mattered in life was to live by faith, to be justified by faith, and ultimately looking to the one who was to come. And by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we all live in such a way. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you're good, and Lord, we praise you for who you are. And Lord, we know we don't deserve everything that we have, that you've given us everything we need in Christ. Lord, we are humbled by your goodness, your love for us. And Lord, I pray that we would look to you and remember what Christ has done for us. Lord, that you would give us the encouragement we need. Thank you for the cloud of witnesses that do cheer us on. And that your spirit would lead us and guide us. That we'd lay down our lives each and every day. That we would remember what ultimately matters in this life. We praise you and thank you for all you've given us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.